Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ryan Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Christian Wiley, Assistant General Manager and Assistant Coach with the Pelham Panthers. As I hinted at in our last episode, Christian has taken a very unique path to his current position in hockey. Regardless of his entry, however, his story shows the importance of taking every opportunity and putting in hard work while establishing relationships in the game. With so many takeaways throughout, the episode presents itself as a great resource which I am ecstatic to present today. So with that, here is Christian Wiley, Assistant General Manager and Assistant Coach with the Pelham Panthers. Today we're joined by Christian Wiley, assistant GM and assistant coach with the Pelham Panthers. Christian, thanks for joining the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And um, we've had a couple of guests at the junior B level, but uh, you know, you have a little bit of a different path here that I think people are going to be really interested in. And I'm excited to uh, you know kind of dive into your career here. So, how about you just give us a little bit of information about yourself, including where you're from, and speak to your involvement in sports from a young age. Sure. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm 31. Uh, married with two kids. Um, born and raised in Windsor, Ontario. Uh, grew up in a heavy baseball family. My mom won some provincial championships. My dad was a good hockey player, and it just kind of was a sports family. That's kind of all I did. Um, <clears throat> played high level baseball for a long time until I tore my rotator cuff. I uh, didn't play hockey till I was about 12. I got on skates for the first time and really loved it. I was a big kid. I'm like I've been 6'4 since I was 14 so I've just been kind of a monster and coaches wanted me to play but I couldn't play at the level I think that they wanted me to or, or needed me to but um, things kind of transitioned for me after that injury and um, obviously my name is Christian so I I have a bit of a religious background in my family we go to, we've been going to church our whole lives and uh, I ended up uh, as a minister and so I've been a, a pastor for uh, about 10 years now um, and got involved back in sports, both through coaching and high school sports, but also um, as a chaplain. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I was very interested in hearing the background, and uh, the religious ties is something that we haven't had the opportunity to um, have on the podcast yet, so that's very mm-hmm. interesting. But as well, um, I think it's always interesting to hear the, the sports involvement when you're young. You know, everybody just assumes you work in hockey. You must play hockey from, you know, the time you can walk, but for a lot of people, that's not the case. And, uh, you know, for you, it was a sports family. You had baseball and things like that. And it eventually moved into hockey, just, you know, different situations. But um, interesting to hear nonetheless. So you would attend school at Fresno Pacific University. 
Uh, just talk about your time there and what you learned, uh, you know, during that experience. Yeah, so that was uh, my master's program. I have a master's in leadership and culture from Fresno Pacific. Uh, it's a seminary degree, so it's still uh, more ministry focused in, in church world, but a lot of the, the information is so applicable everywhere, right? It's not just meant for people that work in churches. Um, and so what I've been able to do is kind of take that information and transform how I approach the sports world, specifically the hockey operation side of things and how we treat players and understand players and, and, and deal with everyone, families and everybody involved. So um, the schooling was great because it, it really exposed a lot of the things that, um, you know, blind spots in your life, right? Uh, your, your own leadership development, personality traits, a lot of things um, about your past that kind of come up and manifest themselves. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was a really healthy, good three years for me to kind of do that. I mean, it was all online. So we had a small cohort of, of eight, uh, eight people across North America that were in a class together. We'd get together once a year uh, for a week long course, go to California, different places around the States. And um, yeah, it was good. It, it just taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about myself and where I've come from and how I've gotten to this place. Uh, but also how to help people uh, discover themselves, transition, and and move forward. Yeah, that's great to hear. And um, I think when you're looking at people in hockey operations, a lot of times there is a different background in their schooling. Uh, again, Fresno is a is one we haven't heard about, but um, a lot of people like myself go through sport management programs. We've had people like Trevor Murphy, one of our earlier guests, looking to teach and and doing history and all these different backgrounds. So um, you know, there are so many paths that lead into the game and. And that's just another one that, you know, it's, it's very different than the, what some people may call the traditional path to hockey operations, but, um, you know, still a path nonetheless. Before we get into hockey, I just wanted to touch on a few other opportunities uh, that you've had in other sports. How about you start by talking about your time coaching basketball and additionally, you know, mention some of the key takeaways that you took from coaching in that sport specifically. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously going into grade nine as a six and a half foot uh, freshman, uh, the basketball coaches were pretty enticed by the opportunity for me. So I played basketball all through high school as captain and uh, just really worked hard at it, really tried to be good. And um, I learned a lot about the game, but I really appreciated the, the coaches that I had. They, they poured a lot into me and gave me a lot of opportunities to grow. And so I, I figured after I graduated high school, I wanted to give back and, and involve myself again. I just love the atmosphere of coaching, the intensity of the game, and, and just um, you know being around a team is just is part of who I am and what I need in my life. So um, trying to replicate that again, going back into the coaching sphere was really interesting because um, their kids are so dependent on you. You don't realize that when you're a player, um, but you you hold and carry so much weight with every word you say and the, all your actions and, and your, your attitudes and your energy that you bring into the room every time you walk in. So um, I really wanted to make sure that the kids had the same experience that I did from the coaches that I had. So I went back to my uh, uh, school that I attended was Kennedy Collegiate in Windsor. I went back and coached there for a few years and then took a head coaching position at another school in the city, Vista Academy. And uh, yeah, it was great. It, it taught me a lot about who I am as a person. Um, you know, some of the things that make me stressed out or angry, you kind of have to like rein some stuff in and, and learn a bit about how your reactions uh, impact other people. Um, but also just like taught me a lot about communication and that sort of thing. But uh, coaching philosophy was never something that I had really thought about when I approached coaching basketball for the first time, but it kind of, showed up along the way I realized that the way that I was coaching our teams were um, you know rooted in the ethics that I grew up in and part of my schooling so you know defensively we were responsible we didn't foul we had the least amount of fouls every year that I coached uh, because I emphasized with our players that you're going to play honorable basketball you're going to you're going to treat your opponent with respect you're going to play the right way um, and opportunities will come uh, 
and we, we did win. We were successful in a lot of ways. Uh, and I think the kids learned a lot um, by not trying to cheat the system and not trying to get away with things. And if, if nothing else, if that was my legacy with those kids, I'm satisfied with that. So, yeah, that's a great way to take it. And, um, you know, just one of those things that show that an earlier experience, even in a different sport, uh, there's so many different takeaways and, and basketball, I think it's one of those good things that you can take away, you know, the, the fouling and things like that. There's so many uh, key aspects and, and key lessons to learn there. Um, another unique opportunity you had was your experience uh, in golf with golf pros and the academy, as you touched on uh, in our previous conversation. Uh, touch on that position and then what you learned from your time in golf. Yeah, it's actually a funny story. I mean, this is only just a recent development, but um, I was kind of dissatisfied with my own personal game. So <laughs> I sought out a, a teacher, a golf pro uh, locally here in Welland. And uh, Jamie Stevenson is his name. He's an excellent teacher, but just an awesome guy. And he works for a company called Modern Golf. So after about the second or third lesson, we're on the course and talking about what he does. And he's got an academy that he teaches. And Modern Golf is a, a large, like a massive organization that has a couple hundred kids in their academy and that sort of thing. And he's uh, teaching kids as young as 13 that are you know, on the track to go D1 for, for golf down in the States. So really gifted athletes. And um, I guess they had had some sort of mental health coaching before and some you know, sports psychology kind of input before, but weren't really satisfied with the product. And so I started just talking about my education and my experience as a youth pastor, working with teenagers for the better part of a decade um, and just trying to help kids uh, better understand themselves. And what I found was that when you have a healthier understanding of who you are and what you aren't, um, you, you tend to perform better. Uh, and so he seemed pretty interested in that. And so he's, he's given me a few of his clients. We've been kind of um, starting that. It's just, um, it's in the beginning stages right now, but we're basically just walking with the kids when they're on the course, helping them maintain stress levels, um, doing some personality assessments and development stuff, making sure that they understand their strengths or weaknesses, kind of some stress points, some things they can do to help keep them locked in. And, um, but overall, like uh, my philosophy with any of this personality development stuff and any of the, the mental side of the game, well, hockey or any other sport, is I want to help our players detach their identity from their output. Um, you know, statistics are both amazing and a plague. I think they um, can really demoralize a kid really quickly, a lot more than, you know, it, it doesn't take a lot of statistical uh, awareness to make you, um, you know, hold your stick tighter or, or, or grip the club a little bit tighter. So I want to make sure that our players um, are free to, to have a bad day and, and, and leave the course or leave the rink um, feeling confident in who they are still. Uh, and knowing that they're not just going to get smushed by their coaching staff or, or whatever because of a bad performance. I mean, we, you know, old school, old school hockey, especially, I think would, would kind of um, lend itself to this, you know, leave your stuff outside the rink when you come in and just be about business. And I just think that just denies our humanity. And I think it's important for people to realize that there's so much that shapes the way that we interact with other people, the way that we interact in sport, you know, our mental health, <laughs> directly in, uh, impacts our, our physical output. And so even just the way that we, um, you know, think about our players when we're doing lineups and things in hockey, uh, kids having a bad game, I can talk to him about what's going on in his life. And it's not necessarily, you know, you know you're not just scoring. It's, you know, this is the anniversary of his dad's death. And so of course he's going to take six penalties and be frustrated. Right. And, and so it's, it's giving people a more full picture of who they are and what's going on in their world to help them realize that, okay, like this is why this is going this way and uh, I can get through this. Yeah, I think there's a number of great takeaways there and 
a key teaching points that anybody listening should take into consideration. Um, for one, you know, there's so many different things that go on uh, in a player's life. And, you know, there, you can't really um, just judge them based on, you know, one game or one set of statistics because, you know, every day it's a different challenge and um, you need to, you know, you need to get to know them and, and give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes. And, uh, you know, able to, you're able to learn that in golf and, and golf is very much a mental sport and, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're almost battling yourself uh, on the course sometimes. And uh, I'm sure that the kids really appreciate the opportunity to have someone like you and, and others, uh, you know, walk them through things and uh, help with their mental aspect when playing the game. Yeah. It's been really good for both, both of us. It's, it's taught me a lot as well. So. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, moving to hockey, one of the first experiences you had in junior hockey was with the Windsor Spitfires in your hometown as their team chaplain. Uh, talk about that opportunity and then the unique experience of working with junior hockey players uh, in that role specifically. Yeah. Um, so at the time I was a youth pastor in Windsor uh, at a church not far from the rink. And um, I'll say that I was the unofficial chaplain. I worked with an organization called Hockey Ministries International. Um, and the team would never, um, I don't know, give me the the team approval that you are the team chaplain, but they let me into the rink. They let me talk to the players and kind of just be there. And so my approach with chaplains, chaplaincy was um, different than I think even my chaplain organization would have liked, <laughs> unfortunately, because typically when you think of chaplain, you think of somebody who's kind of coming in and, and praying with the guys or doing a Bible study or, or, or something like that. And um, my time in youth ministry up to that point had taught me that that just isn't as fruitful uh, and impactful as it, as it could be. Um, because that that position has been distant and kind of secluded and, and separate from the rest of the team, and um, at the the whole point of being a chaplain is to be it's a ministry of presence. It's about being there, uh, and so if you can't actually just be there all the time, you're really not going to develop a relationship and develop a trust and a, a back and forth conversation with players. So um, I, I would spend afternoons kind of just hanging around the rink, especially on game days. I'd sit near the top of one of the sections and let the guys come up to me one at a time and just kind of vent and, and clear their heads. And, but I was also the guy they called at two in the morning when they needed a, a DD home from downtown Windsor. I mean, that's just the reality of, of junior hockey and when guys are older and, um, but building a trust with those guys that way uh, really helps me see what junior hockey players need and don't need. Um, you know, throwing, throwing a Bible verse at them every once in a while doesn't really help them. Uh, but that, to know that there's somebody there that cares about them as a person and as a human being and that sees their needs beyond um, just their statistics is is huge for them. And so a lot of these kids are living away from home for the first time, don't really know how to handle that pressure, especially in the OHL, CHL in general. You're a celebrity in your small city, your small town. and um, That's a lot of stuff to handle when you're 17, 18 years old. And a lot of yeah. pressure for people to perform, for people are paying money to see you and putting you know, your jersey on their back. Like that's that's a whole lot. Uh, that's a whole lot of change in a, a few short years in your teenage years. So um, that taught me a lot, and I, I developed my best friend from there is uh, Severio Posa. He was the captain of the Spitfires for a few years, Memorial Cup champion, and I was there during the glory days, the the 09, uh, you know, 2010 year when they first moved into that new building, and you know Taylor Hall, Ryan Ellis, Adam Henrique, all those guys were there. It was fun hockey to watch and be a part of. Um, but it, yeah, it, it just taught me a lot about what, what junior hockey players need, and they just need support. Uh, yeah. They need people in their lives that are cheering for them as people, not as hockey players. Um, and so those are lessons that I took with me to, to where I am now here in Pelham. Yeah, I think we're seeing the, uh, the benefits of uh, supporting players 
you know, in, in the minorest ways up until, you know, the, the big problems that they're dealing with in Sarnia, we try to do that as well. But um, I can appreciate, you know, a player who's 16 years old, first round draft pick going into a place like Windsor where the Spitfires are, uh, you know, pretty big in that area. So um, yeah. to have someone like you again to, uh, you know, whether it's a Bible verse or even just to, you know, listen to what's going on um, or give them a ride from uh, downtown at 2 a.m. in the morning, you know, those <laughs> those minor details and, and showing that you care and helping them out, it makes a difference. And uh, whether it affected their on ice play or not, I'm sure uh, moving forward in their lives, it, uh, it did have an impact. So uh, moving forward last year, you began working in as a team chaplain for the Pelham Panthers organization. Uh, what drew you to Pelham and then talk about that, uh, that one initial role uh, with the team. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, a funny story again, I guess my whole uh, story is a little bit off. So uh, I was at a Niagara Ice Dogs game a couple of years ago, and in the pregame role on the Jumbotron, they, you know, they announced like their, their team coaching staff and the GM and all that stuff as they do with player introductions. But they also said team pastor, which I thought was interesting because a lot of teams don't promote that. His name is Mo Gillard. He's, uh, he works with HMI as well. And uh, so I just kind of reached out to him and said, hey, Mo, like, can I, you know, I'd like to get back into chaplain work. Um, can I kind of hang out with you, have lunch and just kind of chat about it? And so we got together and he, he told me that his supervisor was saying there's a, a local team, a junior B team in Pelham that needed or was interested in having a chaplain. So um, I met with uh, the GM and coach at the time. We sat in the Tim Hortons outside the rink and um, I just kind of said like, what do you think a chaplain does? And he told me and he told me exactly what I thought he would say is, you know, you're going to come in and do a Bible study or pray for the guys or be there if there's, you know, a tragedy or something like that. And I said, I can do that if you want, if that's what you want, but here's how I approach chaplaincy ministry. And I said, it's, it's about embedding myself in the, the community and the culture of the team, uh, kind of journeying with everybody and not being in the way, but being helpful in what ways that I can, but also uh, through that, you're building a relationship that can help these kids kind of uh, come out of their shell a little bit and better understand themselves. So he really liked that. He liked that approach. I told him my stories in Windsor. So uh, uh, when I met with him, it was like the middle of the playoffs. And so I said, Let's let's start at the beginning of next season, so it's consistent, not to come in and disrupt anything. Um, so I started in late September of the next year, which was last year. And uh, my first day into the rank, I walk in, and the owner uh, meets me and says, "We've uh, let go of our coaching staff, and five players have asked for trades. Uh, what can you do?" <laughs> so uh, I'm walking in cold to a coach's office. Um, to meet two brand new coaches, Chris and Carson Johnstone, um, who just welcomed me with open arms. And, and they kind of just said like, what do you do? And I said, well, I, I think I'm the chaplain. I don't know, it's my first day kind of thing, right? So I just told them my philosophy and, and kind of just said like, I feel like you guys can take care of the hands and the feet, the X's and O's stuff, and I can do the head and the heart. And I think together we can kind of make something, something special here. And they just love that idea and that philosophy. And they've given me so much leash uh, right away. Uh, we got along really well. We clicked really well. So uh, sooner than later, I was not just a chaplain. I was on the ice helping as an assistant coach. I got my card. So now I'm on the bench uh, towards the end of the season, into the playoffs. And uh, this off season, I talked to the the owner, Tim, and uh, just expressed my, my love for the team. I mean, I was, it was purely volunteer last year. I wasn't getting paid or anything. I was probably at the rink 40 plus hours a week. Um, and I just, I just loved it. I fell in love with it. And so much so that I left my job for it. <laughs> And uh, I just felt like this was a new trajectory for my life. And, and so I just told Tim, I said, like, I'd love to be involved in hockey ops. And 
um, help shape the culture here. I feel like I have a lot to offer, but I also want to take some things off your plate because he was doing so many things. And so he agreed and I've been functioning as a, as a GM for the last little while over the summer and developing a roster and building a team, building a culture. And um, again, that's what my education is in. That's what my, my passion is about. So inside of 12 months, I've gone from complete stranger to assistant GM, <laughs> assistant coach uh, yeah. through the chaplaincy door. So anything's possible, I guess. Yeah. Anything's possible. That's for sure. And uh, people always talk about getting your foot in the door and, and are interested in that, you know, organizational progression and, and how do you move up? But, I think that um, you, you took it the right way in just going in and saying, you know, you were there to do anything and everything and, and just help them out and, and just be a presence. And like you said, here you are now as assistant coach and assistant GM in, you know, pretty much 12 months. So uh, that's a pretty, uh, pretty strong trajectory there. Um, I know you touched on it a little bit, but how about you just talk about, um, you know, the responsibilities that you now have as a coach and GM and, and just kind of how you've uh, navigated that those positions kind of on the fly here. Yeah, I think uh, when I first came into the assistant's kind of role, the assistant coach at least, um, I found myself floating between the coaching staff and the players. So I'd gained the players' trust um, uh, pretty early, uh, developed a really strong relationship with them, meeting them outside the rink and just kind of hanging out with them and, and getting to know their story a bit. And so that helped me kind of inform the coaching staff as to what's going on in their lives so that when we're making decisions based on lineup or trades or anything, um, it's just a more informed decision. Uh, getting to know the kid's personality, you learn how to communicate best with them. There's, there's, you know, multiple ways you can communicate with kids that are healthy and unhealthy, that are heard and unheard. So, uh, I think that was important information for our staff to learn, and and we're still learning that. I mean, every year you get new kids, so you have to continue to relearn that. But so it was a it was a neat position being in between, where I had the trust of the players and the confidence of the players, but at the same time, I was in the coach's room helping make decisions for the team. Um, so it's kind of just translating for, for both sides, kind of just sitting in the gap there. Um, and I feel like that uh, has helped me learn a little bit more about the hockey side, the X's and O's, which I'm a little bit weaker in. So I'm starting to learn drills and uh, practice and, and, and lead that way. Um, but it's given me a chance to kind of just empower the coaches to, to develop themselves too, to learn and to grow and to, to step into new um, realities of what coaching is like, new philosophies. Um, and so as I transitioned to the assistant GM as well, uh, obviously my role is, is kind of widespread. I'm doing trades, I'm doing calls, sponsorship, promotion. I run part of the Instagram. I do a lot of graphic design work. Uh, just trying to do as much as I can to help this team because I really believe um, in Pelham and I love this organization and I really want to see it succeed. Um, it doesn't have a history of success in terms of banners in the ceiling, but I mean, at the end of the day, obviously every team wants to win the championship. Um, but not everyone remembers who won the championship a few years ago. And so for me, uh, if it comes down to my philosophy, I want to, I want to create a legacy of, of players that we moved on and developed rather than banners. Like if we have to choose one, it's going to be development. So that's what junior B is. Junior B isn't the path to the OHL anymore. It's, and it's not an off ramp from the dream. It's just an on ramp to NCAA and different hockey opportunities. So we want to make sure that we're honoring the kids by developing, developing them the best way that we can. Uh, but also not holding them back from, from better opportunities because we are junior B and we have to be honest with who we are. So, um, yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's a, an, another really great point to make. And, um, I had some experience working with the Thoreau Blackhawks and Scott and, and those yep. guys over there, but they're the same way, you know, you, you appreciate uh, the willingness to win and you, and you want to be successful on the ice. But, um, as Scott would say, he understands it's junior B and, and the real goal is to have, see those players progress, uh, both on the ice and, and as people so 
Um, it's nice to hear that you uh, follow the same philosophy as well. Uh, like many people looking to navigate through COVID-19, those in hockey are trying to return to you know, some form of normalcy. Uh, talk a little bit about the task of starting things this season, uh, you know, where you're an assistant GM and, and the coaching staff as well, and uh, how you look to navigate through the waters with new standards and uncertainty around dates and, and training camp and all these things. Yeah, I think um, probably one of the biggest struggles is having to to pretend like it's business as usual in terms of scheduling and, and organizing, yet at the same time knowing full well that at any moment everything can get dropped completely. Um, and it just, um, you know, you're kind of waiting for that shoe to drop. Um, we've, we've actually been skating since mid-July. So we've been fortunate that Pelham has been one of the only centers to actually have ice that early. Uh, so we've been, we've got two months head start on most of our league in terms of conditioning and that sort of thing. So um, training camp officially started for us on Tuesday. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been tough, especially from the recruitment side. Um, our league, our team fees have gone up because we've lost so many sponsors, uh, of course, because local businesses aren't making the money to sponsor local teams. And it's just a, you know, vicious circle, but um, yeah, it's, you know, the phone calls with parents and, and trying to convince players that this is a great opportunity for them when, you know, we're going to have a three month training camp when December 2nd is our official start date now. And, um, that might not even happen. Like we can't even guarantee that, but we're, we're going to pretend like it is. Um, it's a tough sell. Um, it's a tough sell because these kids just want to play games. They want to be competitive. They want to win and they want to go on. They want to move on. And so it's tough to, to feel like you're developing when you're just practicing all the time. So we're trying to do things here and there that will help our players um, feel more like it's normal. But, you know, we just got into our room yesterday for the first time. So I was in there the last couple of days organizing and cleaning and, but I mean, kids are wearing masks in our, in our room at all times. They're every other stall. We've got different rooms set up for them to, to get dressed, socially distanced apart. And we're Lysoling everything all the time and always cleaning the contact points. And we can't even use our own entrance to the, the rink or to the room in the back of the rink. And just a lot of protocols and things that we can't do that makes us feel like we're kind of hampered a bit. But um, at the same time, I just try to remind our guys, like we, we're playing hockey still. We still get to be on the ice. We still get to, to play around and see each other. And um, especially uh, when it comes to like bubbling, um, it's a weird term, but um, we have, we're allowed to have 35 kids in our camp. Um, but the stipulations with the OHF and, and the Canadian government, I think in general, are that those players don't leave that bubble for at least 30 days, especially your carded players who, who are with your team. Um, you can't just be going back home on weekends to see your buddies and you can't go here and there and just, you know, have fun anymore. It's not that anymore. It's not that world anymore. So um, we're asking our players to sacrifice a lot. And that's, that's a really tough sell to, to come and pay to play and then sacrifice your free time. Um, but I think it, as, as negative as that may seem, there's a lot of positives to draw from it. And I think for, you know, especially it's, um, it's a gelling component for our team and our culture because if this is all we have, then this is all we have and we have to make the most of it. So um, it's really pushing our guys closer together and it's really making them understand each other better and, and hang out with each other more. And I think that that stuff will translate to the ice in terms of chemistry, uh, but also especially playoff time, push comes to shove and you're down in the last game kind of thing. You need some, you need some guys that care about each other and can do it for each other and gut it out. So um, we might not see the fruit of this right now, but I think come playoff time, this is going to be a really important thing for us to have had uh, experienced for sure. Yeah, definitely. It's a great team building opportunity. And um, as you said, while, while things not, might not be to the standards that you 
uh, would normally deal with, you know, just going in and kind of, you know, playing ping pong and stuff before the game and there's a social distancing and all that, you're still able to play the game. And a lot of people still can't do that uh, in, you know, many yeah. parts of the world. So uh, you kind of have to look at it uh, for what it is at some times, but um, you know, looking at your time in junior B and then in the OHL uh, without naming anything too specific, uh, what are some of the major differences you see in terms of the way that players approach the mental side of the game and the services around it? Uh, OHL, the kids are far more locked in, I think, cause they have to be but they're also on a different trajectory. They're, they're still looking at pro opportunities, whether it's East Coast or AHL. Um, even, even just CIS or Canadian University Hockey, which is still really good hockey, is, is littered with CHL, ex-CHL players because they get that education package. So they're focused on doing the best they can to go as far as they can. Um, and so there's uh, a lot more focus, just both on, both on like personal uh, health and wellness and like time management and those sort of things. Like they're very concerned about all those things. Whereas the junior B level, I think the kids start to take their foot off the gas a bit. Uh, and that's to be expected. I mean, these kids are either living close to home and just starting to find work after high school or just trying to play out their junior career and have fun with their buddies until they have to go on and, and get a real job and, and get on with the rest of their life. Right. And so you get a mix of personalities in the junior B level. Some kids that really want to keep pushing and go on, they believe that they can go further which they can. And then some guys who just want to be there for a good time. So um, the difference is just trying to, to find the, the, the right motivator uh, for the OHL. You don't really need to have a motivation because you're in the OHL. Like that's just kind of where you're, where you are, but with junior B, you kind of have to find the switch for everybody and see what, what gets them going. And um, yeah, I think that's probably been the most noticeable difference for sure. Yeah. That's kind of the way I expected the, the answer to be, but uh, it's, it's just one of those things that it's the, it's the nature of the beast. And, uh, you know, coaches even say the same way when you're coaching in the OHL and junior B, the players have a different approach to practice and game preparation and, and all these different things. But as you touched on in junior B, you do have that variation. There are a lot of players who see opportunities in, in pro hockey as still an option and, you know, they get there. And especially if it's a, you know, sometimes you have a 16 or 17 year old who's at the junior B level, they might view it different than say an overager uh, who's, you know, kind of uh, just getting ready for the next step in their life. So one of those things that um, they have to take into consideration, but interesting nonetheless to hear that both uh, still, you know, use the mental side of the game and, and use those services on a daily basis. I think the OHL kids are kind of just exposed to because they are not exposed because they live in this false reality that pro is still possible where the junior B kids are faced with the reality that like, okay, like I'm not as good as I thought I was. And like this hockey thing's probably coming to an end sooner than later. So like, what do I do now? And so they, they start opening up their mind to different possibilities. And so that kind of takes their attention away, but. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, looking at possibilities as many in junior hockey, uh, I'm sure there are always aspirations to move forward in some capacity. Uh, you know, you recently talked about uh, kind of getting into hockey more and, and changing careers and things like that. But maybe looking 10 years down the road, uh, where do you see yourself in the game or maybe, uh, you know, in a perfect world, where do you hope to be? Yeah. I mean, I, I love all aspects of being involved in a team specifically. So I don't know that I necessarily want to find myself in a, uh, a league office or anything like that. Um, I think I have things to offer leagues in general uh, in terms of philosophy and approach uh, and kind of integrating some extra pieces in the coaching staff to, to help teams be more uh, well-rounded, but um, I still want to be part of a team myself and still be on that journey with, with guys every year. So 
uh, I think the GM role suits me well. I think um, there's still a lot of business things I need to learn, but um, my relational building is, is has shown to be a strength right now as I'm getting new, you know, getting to know GMs around the league and just the intricacies of trading and, and valuing players and building relationships to help teams out when, you know, we're in the lower part of the standings or, or vice versa. So um, I just love that side, but also because it lends, uh, lends me to be able to create a culture and create some, some standards for what it is that we are and aren't. And I think, again, that's where my education and my passion is. So I, w- I want to be able to help um, develop the kind of place where these kids develop and develop the vibe. So that's important to me. Um, but I've also kind of been dabbling on the side where, you know, the people that I've talked to already just in different podcasts or uh, around hockey in general have just kind of said that this is a really different approach. They haven't seen this much. And so I've developed this idea for a consulting company that would help train uh, different people to integrate themselves. It's called ice consulting. So integrated culture experts, um, they would find themselves integrated in the life of a team in a, in a role that the team to, like needs. So whether it's like an equipment manager or whatever, like I even learned how to sharpen skates last year so that I could just kind of help out and just be useful. Um, so finding people that I can train the mental side stuff with and, and then integrating them in a team to then be that presence for them, I think is just an important tool that every team definitely needs. And so uh, I'd like to see that happen probably sometime in the future, but you know, we've got plenty of time. I'm only 31. So Yeah, exactly. There's uh, all the time in the world. And um, I think that's a, a tremendous idea and hopefully something uh, that you move forward with and, you know, we can help promote that down the road, but um, a general manager is a great position. As you touched on um, building those connections and, and creating that culture. Uh, I think that's a really real key aspect uh, with anybody in that type of position um, in the organizations I worked with. Uh, the Growlers didn't really have a GM, but Trevor Murphy was kind of that role and, and mm-hmm. he did that very well there and Scott Barnes and Thorold and, and Dylan Sika now uh, with the Sting where I work, he, uh, he's very good at that as well and, and bringing people together. So um, anytime you have that right mindset and uh, the relationship part of the job down, I think uh, the on-ice product just kind of translates from that. So hopefully in 10 years we can uh, reconnect and, and we see you in that position at some level and uh, who knows, maybe I'll uh, come to you for a job at that point. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, moving to the topic of uh, continual learning, uh, what are some of your favorite resources to reference and gain new ideas in the game of hockey or even in other areas? Uh, honestly, like I, I learn most from other people. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of great YouTube videos and resources you can look up for, for X's and O's and drills and those sort of things, but you can't replace the wisdom you get from guys who have coached in the leagues for you know, 20, 30 plus years. So, uh, you know, our owner who has, has owned the team for almost 20 years, he's, he's learned a lot. Uh, and our head coach, Chris Johnstone, is nicknamed Scoot. I mean, he's coached in the OHL with uh, Sault Ste. Marie, and he was first coach in Erie. Like, he's coached guys like Dwayne Rollison and Ethan Morrow and Joe Thornton in Sault Ste. Marie. And, like, you can't replace that kind of wisdom and experience, and that's kind of the stuff that I cling to the most um, because those are the little things that probably aren't written down in books. Um, some of them are a little bit less, um, I don't know, <laughs> polite I'll say but uh, it's good information nonetheless because you learn you learn how to deal with people and you learn how to how to not deal with people and um, so on the hockey side that's probably where I go I, I lean more towards mentorship than um, content and resources that sort of thing but um, personally like I love working with this uh, personality assessment I mean, it's not really an assessment it's just kind of an awareness tool called the Enneagram um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that but 
basically it breaks down people into nine types and we have an elevated type of, of one that kind of stands out above the rest. And that really gives you language to understand who you are by default. And, and just like both your nature and nurture um, qualities. And uh, it, it talks about how you are under stress, you know, what healthy looks like for you, what unhealth looks like for you. Uh, and just gives you like a full, full dictionary for yourself to know like, all right, like this is, this is how I'm acting right now. It's probably rooted in this. And it just gives you the full picture, right? It helps you step back from what you're doing in your situations and, and, and kind of make more informed decisions that aren't just based in emotion. Yeah, it's one of those things, just another way to evaluate yourself and, uh, you know, bringing it back to the point of learning from people. I think that's a really great point. And uh, whether it's hockey or life in general, um, those connections and those relationships you build are, are really where you uh, gain the most information. So I know you mentioned a few names, but evaluating your career to date, uh, who are some of the key mentors, even outside of hockey, who have helped you succeed? It's tough. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's been a lot of school teachers uh, and, and seminary, especially a guy named Brian Ross, who's really good at kind of helping me pick apart myself and, and, and dig into some things. I've got a few mentors here locally, John Hand and um, a couple of pastors in our denomination that I lean on heavily, Jimmy Rushton. Um, in the hockey world, there isn't many people. Obviously, it's the coaching staff that I have now that we're, that we're working with that I really trust and depend on a lot for that, that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I would say that like, I just, I try to create a, a community of guys uh, in my life that can really pour into me and that I can be vulnerable with, because I feel like, um, you can't really learn and grow if you're not willing to be transparent enough that people can see your garbage and kind of help you take it out. So, yeah, a great, a great message there. And, uh, something that everybody should look to do in their lives, uh, through these mentors and your experiences, uh, what are some of the maybe one or two uh, key lessons or major takeaways that you have learned uh, through your life? Well, I mean, I, I would probably equate that with, with the things I've learned in seminary, but also the things that I just firmly believe as a, as a man of faith. Um, we talk about Jesus um, a lot where, where I worked and um, he kind of gets misconstrued. Um, he's not a Christian. He's not this religious figure. He's, he's this guy that saw a broken system and wanted to fix it. And he did that by going after the people that were neglected. And so there's this posture of uh, thinking about others before yourself uh, that I continually try to, to implement in my life. So whether I'm dealing with parents or players or coaches or GMs or whatever, I'm thinking about that person's life first. And so even the way they talk to me might be, in, in, you know, might be part of something that happened to them earlier in that day. So I don't hold any of that stuff against them. I don't have expectations of people. Um, I just want people to know that I'm for them. Uh, and, and through that relationship building, it, I find that it tears down walls that might be there and it allows us to be vulnerable and honest with each other and, and kind of have a, a tighter relationship. So uh, having the humility to understand who I am, but also just uh, seeking out the better uh, for the other person involved is, is kind of the philosophy for life for me. And that's, that's all credit to, to Jesus and his teaching. So, yeah, really, uh, really strong words there and, and things that people can use, uh, you know, anything they do and, having that humility is one of the major takeaways that a lot of people mentioned that, uh, you know, just put yourself out there and, and realize that you don't know everything or that the process that you do things isn't always, you know, perfect and you can learn something uh, through the guidance of others. Definitely. So if you could give someone looking to get in hockey operations or, uh, you know, a similar career path that you had uh, while unique, uh, what is one final piece of advice that you would give to them as they were looking to start on that journey? I would say, I mean, it's probably twofold. I'd take a risk. 
the cold call, the, the weird email, whatever you have to do to get, you know, your name out there. Um, but also then just be available. Um, hockey is an inconvenient game for a lot of people. It's evenings, it's weekends, it's long hours. Uh, and so if that's not really kind of where your life is at right now, either you, you get it there or it's probably, probably not going to happen. So you have to make sacrifices, but yeah, I would say like, uh, put yourself out there and then be available when the call comes because the call will come and opportunities will be there. So be teachable, be humble and, and be ready to work. Yeah. A great lesson for anybody to, uh, take with them as they look to, you know, follow a similar career path. Uh, Christian, I just want to thank you for taking some time today to, come on the podcast and talk about your extremely unique career. And, um, you know, while it's different than some of the other ones we had, I hope people learn from it all the same and I wish you all the best moving forward. Yeah. Thanks Ryan. Appreciate the opportunity. All right. Take care. You too. I'd like to thank Christian for joining me and walking us through his progression in and around the game of hockey. With such a different entry to the game, it goes to show there really isn't one path to hockey operations, and I'm sure that is one thing that will inspire many in their own pursuit. So again, I'd like to thank him for coming on the podcast and sharing his story. If you'd like to get in touch with Christian to discuss his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or contact Podcast at Outlook.com, and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Rachel Dory. Director of Advanced Performance and Master's Student at York University. A known name by many in the hockey community, Rachel has built an impressive resume in a short amount of time with experiences at the OHL, U Sports, and NHL level. With a detailed thought process and willingness to challenge the norms, she brings a lot to the table with her new age hockey mind, so be sure to listen in to that episode. As always, thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you for your continued support of the podcast. Stay safe and all the best.